Welcome to Migrant Odyssey. In this series, I talk to refugees, migrants, asylum seekers, and those who have moved countries for a better life. Some are still stuck in refugee camps after decades. Some have never seen their homeland. Some have never left their homeland, but have been forcibly displaced by war and the destruction of their environment. And some, the lucky few, have settled in their new countries and brought with them skills, ambitions, new ideas, and wonderfully diverse histories. Why am I doing this podcast? For many reasons. One of them is that the world is indivisible. What happens out there, be that war, poverty, drought, climate change, didn't start out there in isolation. And sure as nuts won't stay out there. People are on the move. Some looking for safety, some looking for better opportunities. The fact that they are doing so doesn't make them less clever, less able, or simply less. It actually makes them more, more courageous, more imaginative. And I hope you'll hear that in each story in this podcast. We forget that the modern day prosperous countries were built on huge waves of migrants. Some were dragged across as slaves, some came seeking refuge, and some new opportunities. And today, ironically, we view their descendants with trepidation when they bring all the things we desperately need, ambition, diversity, resourcefulness, and hope. So yes, this podcast is a platform to change your assumptions and a place for our migrants, and they are our migrants, to tell their stories. Today, I'm talking to Mohammed Salim Khan, who's one of one million Yohinga refugees in the world's biggest refugee camp in a narrow strip of land called Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. He uh, describes himself on social media as a photographer, and I've seen some wonderful photographs of his, a journalist, an interpreter, a fixer and translator, and an emergency preparedness and rescue response instructor. Mohammed, welcome to the podcast. I'm really pleased you were able to make it. Most people, Mohammed, in this part of the world, certainly my part of the world, think of refugee camps as sort of temporary sites with them. Um, you know, possibly tents and a few tin shacks. But there are one million refugees in Cox's Bazaar who have been fleeing there since when? Around 1978, is that right? No, 92. 92 they came the first time. Okay. Could you tell me something about it? Remembering that this is an audio podcast, could you tell me something about what Cox's Bazaar is like? How many camps are there about? What sort of housing is there? Could you just describe it for us? Yeah, here, 33 Rohingya refugee camp, houses is uncount. That's our biggest number. And what are the houses made of? That's uh, are made by bamboo and tarpaulin. That is. And are there roads? Are there, is there sewage? Anything like that? Yeah, rope, uh, yeah. And what about schools and hospitals and medical facilities? What are they like? We have a school here that is known from school. So that's me. We have the facility, the only class five. That's by NGO. And we have also a hospital here. If we face any problem, we can go to that clinic. We have clinic here. 
if there is any emergencies we have some problem that is uh, you know we are living in the biggest world refugee camps the road is not easy to walk we have also mountain here the road is not uh, easy everywhere if we have any emergency patient we have to carry by ourselves hopefully you have seen uh, also a picture that i uploaded uh, one day ago so our situation is like that so when we come to the clinic if the doctor think that we need to send uh, others uh, emergency clinic then they refer and then we got the facilities which is for us so mohammed salim there are around a million people right in the area so how many doctors are there how many schools are there for the entire area is the clinic just for your camp no 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 every single camp we have clinic every single camp we have school so the problem is that we are 1 million and the biggest problem is that here is a prohibited vehicle that's why we don't got uh, any vehicle for the emergency patient also so when we come to the clinic then the doctor decide they need to refer so you're saying there are no vehicles are around allowed in the camp so therefore everybody has to walk the thing is for only rohingya refugee so who are the doctors who are the injured people they have the vehicle some of the injured staff also they also uh, go by walk the rohingya are not allowed to have a vehicle is that correct yeah 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 what is the reason for that uh authority is thinking about our safety if uh, vehicle is not uh, running around camp that is good for us they are thinking like that is a security reason the authority is thinking so class 5 goes up to what age that is uh 12 13 14 sometimes uh, that is that's when you end the school right there's no more school after that there's no further education yeah there's no facilities in just a school after the class 5 who you do that uh, some of we have if we gather an opportunity to run by ourselves uh, like uh, here is some private school which is uh, built by not built that's also in chalfer which is run by community teacher some of the uh, boys and girls uh, go there for the learning so let's uh, talk a bit about you Tell me where do you live do you live with your family who is your family can you tell me something about your own personal circumstances yeah so my family came 1992 at bangladesh when there was a brochure campaign against rohingya in myanmar then uh, my parents came to bangladesh refugee camp so I'm the person who never ever seen my country and the home village even now i have lost my parents here i have also family right now so we have already passed uh, more than 30 years did i understand you correctly you said you'd lost your parents here yeah i lost uh, my parents here they already died when was that uh the reason was uh, they were sick and weak because of that there was not any accident morally what happened with that and they must have been quite young right is that correct 
Yeah, they were they were very uh, uh, unhappy because uh, they wishes uh, to make me a great uh, journalist or something else. They were thinking like that. What did your parents tell you about the time before they left Myanmar and also their journey to Bangladesh? Yeah, when I was tiny here, I made them some question. Mom, why we are here? When I see human, I have seen a lot of people who are uh, living around us. They have nice houses. They have uh, they can go nice schools. Uh, they can go whatever they like. And then they were very emotional, and then they told me that refugee life is like this. But we don't know before. If we don't, um, might be we tried our level best to stay in country. So the problem was that when the Myanmar uh, government uh, uh, had a brochure campaign against Rohingya, then they got uh, afraid too much and they also tossed some, uh, some of our people when they see at that time they got afraid after that, they took the decision to come Bangladesh after that they become refugee. You should to understand one thing is that no one wants to be a refugee. That's not so. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And the journey to Bangladesh must have been a very hard one as well, right? And it must have taken some time. Yeah, uh, they also shared with me that uh, they needed uh, five days. They were uh, in the hillside three days. They didn't get any food to eat because when they were coming, they just uh, come in with the uh, children. At that time, uh, uh, my parents were uh, um, five more children with them. So they took them and uh, on the road, uh, there was no any vehicle assessment. So they came by walk. So that was very hard journey for them and unforgettable things. Have you got brothers and sisters? And do you have your own family now? Yeah, I have one family now. Uh, I have uh, five brothers, including me six. So two already died also. One died uh, three years ago. One died uh, six months ago. Now we are we have four brothers. No, it's okay. It's okay. So we have separate family. Because we are living in very convex area where it's not possible to stay every family member in a room. That's why I live in a shelter with my family. My other brother stay another shelter with his family like that. We are in town also. Same thing, that is. Have you got married? Yeah, I, I got married. I have children also. <laughs> How many children? I have two children. I'm lucky. I'm a lucky father. Uh, I say almost that. Both are gone. Lovely, lovely. Baraka, baraka. What about religion? Is, are there mosques in the camp? And are you able to practice religion? Are you able to practice Islam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so about that, we are very good here because this is also Islamic country. For that, we never ever get any hearts. We are okay with that. Just a little bit different. We are going to Paris to practice a little mosque. 
So who are the host community? They have the biggest. That's the difference. Other thing is completely fine for us. I'd like to talk about your work later, but I just want to just ask a couple more questions about. So the Myanmar government refused to recognize the Rohingya citizens since I think 1982, right? So you were stateless there. Has the Bangladeshi government recognized you as as refugees, or are you still stateless? I'm recognized here as a refugee. So Myanmar government military. They have been uh, refusing to uh, accept us as a citizenship, and uh, they're not happy to give the facilities to us like as other ethnic that is. So it's a uh, long years. It's not only ninety two. It was happening uh, before ninety two. They have been torturing us systematically. There was another refugee before ninety two. There was another. Uh, In flats, some of our Rohingya people became refugee. Then ninety two, then two thousand twelve, and then two thousand two thousand seventeen was the big impact. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so nineteen eighty two was in fact was that right when the Myanmar government sort of completely made the Rohingya stateless? Right, nineteen eighty two. How do you make a living in the camp? Can you? Are you able to work? Are you allowed to work? How do you get money and how do you get food? I personally, that is, for uh, everyone here is same about food. We are getting eight dollars only, eight USD dollar per month for a person. Let me turn some, if I may, to uh, to you personally. Can you tell me something of your day to day life? I mean, what, for example, did you do yesterday? What was the big thing you did yesterday? Yeah, I did uh, that. Uh, where I do job, there was a delegation, and they also check about uh, my job area, and they also check that uh, I'm working as a fire safety instructor, fire safety rescue instructor. So they comes to my place, and they also check fire safety equipment. They also check uh, if there is any emergencies. We have some fire equipment here to use. So this delegation came from who? Who sent the delegation? Where did they come from? That's from organization where I do job. I was reading when I was researching you that you work preventing and investigating child drownings. Are there a lot of drownings in the area, Mohammed? And why is that the case? Oh, that's really an amazing question. I'm happy to give the answer. So you know, uh, we have faced a big problem at COVID nineteen. So there is uh, the biggest challenge is that more than COVID affected, died more people by drowning than COVID affected. So this was a biggest challenging thing here. That is, so we affect COVID a lot. So we lost. Few people compared to that, we lost more people by drowning here. Like as people, men, children, we are children, and also measured one or two. The problem is that uh, we have a pond here, we have little channel here, so we are living very congested places. Our children, most of the cases, what I found that. Uh, 
the child going to school. So every day that's on camp with friends, brother, someone else, like that. So sometimes they are separate. So that took the decision and go to play that type of beach area or place. Then so most of the case happen like that. So do you, as part of your work, do you have to patrol around to check that the children are all right? Is that some of the work you do? No, no, no. Uh, what I know that if uh, any drilling happen in any camp, when I uh, get the information, then I go to their parents to take the interview, how to happen. Because uh, we need to take the experience, uh, because here, uh, giving support, unisher uh, and iron. So the two are the mother organization. They're helping a lot to us. So there are a lot of partners are working with them. If uh, the partner get any type of case like that, and they share with Unisher and IO. Because when they share, then they take uh, initiative how to prevention this. I want to now turn it to something that you do really beautifully, which is your photography. I've seen some of your work. And your black and white images of your grandmother, for example, of, of the survivors of the fire and that child wading through the water in the flooding really do say much more than a thousand words. I mean, they are very beautiful. Tell me, how did you get into the photography and what are you trying to do with the photography? Is it because you simply love images? You simply love taking photographs? Are you trying to say something more as well with your work? Yeah, I'm doing this for my nation because we are a persecuted nation, ethnic group. So we are living in camp. Every day we are feeding different type of challenge. Every year we are feeding different type of challenge. What for I take the picture? I like to see the world, what is going on in our situation. When the people see the picture, then people able to understand what kinds of life we are surviving here. I would like to show our crisis to the world by my picture. That's my aim. Do you send them to agencies? How, where is your work available for people to buy or to see? If here is going on any incident, then so who are the media partner? They write to me at Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever they like, they write and they share. When they like any of my images, videos, then I share with them. There is a website named Rohingya Photo Competition. So on that website, a lot of my work over there. And people also sometimes go to that and show it some. That's Rohingya Photo Competition, right? You won a prize, didn't you? You won an award for your work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got that award from there. I mean, they really are. You should be very proud of the, what your work. They really are very beautiful. I've, uh, I like photography a lot, and I think you just have created some very special work. Very special work. Yeah. You want to see some more, then you should visit my Instagram. Then you'll get uh, a lot of photos also. In LinkedIn, uh, I post a uh, few compared to Instagram. At Instagram, you can see a lot of uh, history of me. That is where I, my work uh, have been published. Like the Guardian, 
the business standard that is a local paper of here that's a tribunal that's also local paper of here al jazeera and so many over there and there also something uh, you can see that uh, our, uh, my photo ha- uh, had been exhibited so all our uh, the information over there wonderful anything that i haven't asked you that you would like to tell me I'd like to tell you that uh, I'm so happy because you are also a refugee, I'm also a refugee. As a refugee being, you are trying to broadcast these type of things to make understand people about refugee life in different countries, different camps. I'm also happy that as a refugee being, I'm able to share my history to you. According to that, uh, this will go to a lot of people. So when the people listen about our life, then there'll be some of will be emotional, some will be helped to understand about our exact life. Inshallah, my friend, inshallah. Thank you very, very much. All the best. And of course, we will talk some more at some other stage. Okay, thank you so much. Today's guest was Mohammed Salim Khan, photographer, journalist, fixer for such organizations as Al Jazeera, emergency worker and Rohingya refugee in the world's largest refugee camp at Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. If you want to see or buy his extraordinary photographs, please go to his Instagram account, Muhammad Salim Khan, or on LinkedIn. Muhammad Salim is also an award winner for his work, which can be seen on rohingyaphotooronword.com. Until the next time, this is Stephen Barton, This has been Migrant Odyssey.